Friends, it's a joy, it's a a privilege, and uh, it's been a burden this week uh, to bring God's Word uh, today. Uh, this is this is this is quite a passage, friends. Uh, and um, one of the good things about going through uh, the the Bible page by page, book by book, is that you let the, the scriptures set the agenda for what God's people need to hear, rather than anyone else doing that. Uh, because if it were me, uh, it probably wouldn't be a, a word that uh, I would want to bring. Um, but nonetheless, it's a word that the Lord Jesus. Uh, wanted to bring to the Laodiceans, uh, and uh, this is this is the last letter in the seven letters uh, in um, Revelation one to three, and it, there's a sting in the tail, uh, uh, quite a sting in the tail, because at least with the church in Sardis, uh, God was able to say to them, "There are a few among you who have not tainted their garments," but He can't even say that to the church in Laodicea. Uh, usually he says, you're doing this well, uh, and but I have this uh, against you. Uh, and this is just an on-right criticism from the Lord Jesus to the church in Laodicea. But it's motivated by love. Uh, as a father loves his children, as we heard in, in Hebrews chapter 12. And he says it there in verse 19, those whom I love, I discipline or I rebu- and I rebuke. Uh, and so it's out of love that he brings that this uh, stinging rebuke to the Laodiceans. And I would ask you, Father, that you would help me to honour your character and your word as we go through it. And Father, I would ask by your spirit, living Jesus, that you would give us ears to hear, eyes to see, and hearts to respond for the sake of your almighty, glorious, and beautiful name, Amen. Uh, the good news, I think, is that uh, it sounds like perhaps the Laodiceans heard the rebuke and they were earnest and they did repent because uh, I've been to the ruins of Laodicea in 2016 and the most remarkable building there, um, which was built 300 years after this letter was written, um, is the church, the church building. Um, so uh, it sounds as if maybe they did hear the rebuke, God, the Spirit did give them ears to listen, they were earnest, they did repent, because the church endured for hundreds of years after that in Laodicea. I was there um, uh, about five, six years ago. Uh, and that's good news. Uh, and the other thing we can take from that, uh, friends, those of you particularly who are younger, uh, is that these are not fantasies. These are not uh, uh, sci-fi fantasies. This is historically true and the archaeological evidence backs these things up in multiple ways and I'm going to be making reference to that uh, throughout this message. Uh, but one of the other things we know about Laodicea historically is that they had a medical school there. It was a famous medical school and a particularly strong school for eyes. They had a good ophthalmology department and they were famous for um, this Phrygian dust that they could put, uh, powder that um, could be put on your eyes in order to improve uh, your eyesight and people came there uh, and they exported this powder as an eye salve and so Jesus as he speaks to them is kind of picking up on this kind of unique quality of Laodicea and he's saying hey Laodiceans you've got all these people who are blind out there who are coming to you and to your doctors to get this medicine so they can see well guess what The reality is that you guys are blind, you guys are sick, I've got good medicine, I'm a good doctor, and if you come to me, you'll be able to see, and I'll make you well again. Because these guys are sick. These guys are really sick. It's like stage four cancer. But the good news is that Jesus is a really good doctor, and he's got really powerful medicine. 
And so we're going to look at today's passage from three, under three headings that I've got from Tim Keller. The first thing uh, is the symptoms we're going to look at. Then we're going to look at the underlying disease. And then finally, we're going to look at the medicines that Jesus has to offer the church in Laodicea. So first, let's look at the symptoms in verses 15 and 16. He says, I know your works. You're neither hot nor cold. I wish that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I'm about to spit, or other translations say vomit, I'm about to vomit you out of my mouth. As Tess said in our prayer meeting this week, L is for Laodicea, L is for lukewarm. These guys are lukewarm. And this has also got um, historical and archaeological background because one thing that was true about Laodicea and that we know about Laodicea is that the water that they had was disgusting. Uh, it would make you want to vomit. And actually there are two neighbouring cities that I've been to as well. Herapolis and Colossae were within a couple of kilometres each. And Herapolis was famous for its strong, uh, its hot springs, and they're still there today, and Col- which I've been to, and Colossae for its cool springs. But once, he traveled, once the water travelled, which they took it to Laodicea, it was lukewarm, neither hot nor cold. And so Jesus says, I wish you would be earnest. Look at verse 19. Uh, The Greek word is zeleo, from which we get zealous. So the opposite of lukewarm is zealous. In other words, I wish you were more passionate. I wish you were more enthusiastic. I wish you were on fire for Jesus. I wish you were more fervent and eager and excited. But instead, you're indifferent. You're unresponsive. You're too cool. You're apathetic. You're boring and you're bored. So the vibe of the church in Laodicea, far from being like a fun party, it was more like a funeral. They weren't on fire. They were lukewarm. So just, I want to ask you for a sec, teenagers, all of you, what what are the things that give you that spontaneous sense of excitement that that kind of, you know, causes excitement to sort of bubble up or or enthusiasm to bubble up? Like if you get them, and then, and what are the things on the flip side that if you don't get them, you get kind of angry and depressed? What are the sort of things that light you up? How about a, a little bit of retail therapy? You know, a new outfit. Oh, feel like cloud nine. I'm just killing it. Uh, what about a new phone? Yes, got a new phone. I'm just, ugh. or a new package in the mail. You know, a bit of Amazon Prime. Woohoo! A new package in the mail. What What are the things that light you up and get you excited? Maybe it's your new paycheck, payday. You go check your bank, and boom, you made you made some more money, and that that just gives you that. Mm, yes. Or maybe it's a promotion at work or a new project where you're just like killing it and you're just like, mm. and just that, what are the things that kind of give you that spontaneous, it's not, you, there's no control, you're not like, I'm going to be happy now, it's just like, oh yeah, killing it. What are the things that do that for you and how does that compare in terms of your level of enthusiasm to how you feel about being able to have a quiet time alone with the Lord Jesus in the scriptures and praying? How, how does that compared do you get how does the level of like oh, oh prayer meeting um church i just mm, th- how does that does that same how does it how do they relate those two things uh, would you say you when it comes to like um getting alone with god in prayer would you say you're hot would you say you're lukewarm or would you say you're totally cold R- robert murray mccain once said 
A man is what he is on his knees before God and nothing more. A woman is what she is on her knees before God and nothing more. And I think if you were to spend some time with the Laodiceans, observing them, watching their way of life, I, I, here's what I think the th- three things that made them tick, the three things that kind of got them excited, got them animated. The first thing were great garments. You're going to see this in the passage. The first thing was great garments, like nice set of clothes. Then, then there was glittering gold. Uh, glittering gold, you know, actual gold, and then, or, or money in our case. And then finally the third thing was good medicine. That's the thing that got them, got them excited. There were a lot of doctors uh, and, and they were a centre uh, for medical research, you know, and development. So, so those are the things that really got them going. Now, there's two things that really struck me when I came to uh, Cottesloe. Um, and, and, and one was that one day as I was walking down Stirling Highway, I, I went for a long walk down Stirling Highway and I counted four different plastic surgeries. Four different plastic surgeries. Utopian Cosmetics... Skin Rejuvenate, Medispa, and Sculpt. That's one of the things that struck me when I came uh, to Cottesloe. I went for a walk down. So, you know, cosmetic surgery, surgery is quite, quite prominent. But, but the other thing that struck me when I came here was, and went to the local shopping mall, Claremont Quarter, was that instead of having a Target, you had Tommy Hilfiger. And instead of having shops like Cotton On, you could only find shops like Country Road. Maybe you've gotten used to it. But isn't that the case? Talk about the top end of town. Laodicea was the top end of town. It was an extremely wealthy, affluent bubble. And so the things that people got excited about, the things that people spoke about, the things that animated people were garments, gold, and good medicine. But when it came to God, they were lukewarm didn't really even flicker the tiniest register or flicker or flame for Jesus. And so Jesus says, I wish you were either hot, totally on fire for Jesus, or cold, totally ignorant of the Lord Jesus. But instead you're lukewarm and that makes me want to vomit. How could being being cold be better than being lukewarm? How could he say, I wish that you were cold, like not even care, or totally ignorant? How does that work? I think it works the same way as a vaccine works. You give just a tiny little bit of the medicine, just a tiny little bit amount, so that when the real thing comes, you're just completely inoculated from it, and, and, and you don't have any interest. And so for, those, for a culture that's grown up with the benefits of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ for 2,000 years and experienced unspeakable benefits, we've, we've grown used to it. And then somebody comes and tells us, well, the source of that is the crucified and risen Lord Jesus Christ. And we go, I don't need that. Not interested. Or if we've grown up in Christian households and around the Lord Jesus all the time and we hear this message and we're just completely dulled to it and it doesn't electrify us, it doesn't 
um, animate us, it doesn't excite us and fill us with wonder. One of my coaches is, is a head of a large um, ministry campus uh, outreach, AFES, in um, the University of Technology in Sydney. And he's saying that now that our culture is moving further and further away from Jesus and people are getting more and more ignorant about the Lord Jesus, he's actually getting more and more people coming to him and say, tell us about Jesus. What is this that you're talking about? Because when people are cold, at least then when they hear the amazing, wonderful, electrifying news of the Lord Jesus Christ, it actually musters up some interest in people. But the Laodiceans are lukewarm. I've heard this before. I couldn't care less. Part of what we might pray for our kids, some of whom are here today, some of whom are out there, some of whom who didn't come today, is that as they flirt with the world, that God gives them a good and proper dose of what the world is really like. Like the prodigal son who goes away to have a party, ends up in the pig pen, covered in mud, and finally comes to his senses and realises what it is that he's walked away from and what the inheritance is of the sons and the daughters of God so that they can come back to their senses and see what a wonder the Lord Jesus Christ is. So when Jesus looks at the Laodiceans who aren't on fire for God, he doesn't say, you make me angry. He says, you make me sick. The thought of you makes me want to vomit. Neither hot nor cold, so I'm going to spit you out. Why is he being so harsh? How could he be so harsh? This is his church. This is his bride. That he loves. I mean, he says he loves. This is from love. How could he be so harsh? Well, we've looked at the symptom. Now let's look at the underlying disease in verses 17 and 18. And in order to appreciate the irony of what Jesus is saying here, we need to look again at the background to Laodicea because there's three things about Laodicea that are relevant to what Jesus is saying in verses 17 and 18. And the first that we've kind of seen is that Laodicea was the fashion capital in the area. They had this wool, they had this black sheep and they had this really glossy black wool that people would wear and they were just like, they just dressed like awesome. It was a fashion capital. The second thing is that it was a financial hub. If you look at it on the map, there were tons of Romans roads that ran through it and so it was a trading centre and they were extremely rich, lots of merchants, really wealthy, they could sell their awesome clothes, their, their Gucci and their whatever and, uh, and they had heaps of money and so it was a banking capital and one of the things that, um, probably the thing that Laodicea is most famous for is that when an earthquake struck in 60 AD and the whole place was completely decimated, what would always happen in the Roman world is that they would need to call on Rome to be able to finance the rebuilding of the city, but Laodicea didn't need it. They're like, no, we're good. And they rebuilt it on their own because they had the resources and the finances to do it um, by themselves. That was in 60 AD. So they were a financial hub, extremely wealthy, extremely self-sufficient. And thirdly, they were a medical center, as we've already heard so Jesus is taking these things that they're so proud of, that they're so good at, that they're, they're doing so well in, and he says, you guys think that you're well-clothed, rich and healthy, but I'm telling you that you're naked, poor and blind, wretched. 
So the nakedness is picking up on this idea of their amazing clothes, right? But in the Bible, the nakedness is a picture of spiritual shame and spiritual guilt. So think of Adam and Eve when they took the fruit in the garden and they saw that they were naked and ashamed. It means they're guilty and they're worthy of punishment before God. That's the nakedness that he sees before them. Then there's this image of poverty. He says, you're poor. And poverty in the Bible is this idea of being spiritually bankrupt, that you owe this great debt to God for what you've done and your sins before him, but you've actually got nothing to pay. It's this idea that you're completely powerless, that you're totally stuck. You can't change your situation. You can't change your character. You just can't do it. You're empty and bankrupt. That's the idea of poverty before them. And then the idea of spiritual blindness is that we, until the Holy Spirit opens our eyes to show us what we're really like, we just think we're awesome. This is one of the things about sin. The first thing it does is it actually makes you think you're pretty good and you're doing okay. It's called the the deceitfulness of sin. And one of the first effects of sin is that you look at yourself and you do, I'm I'm pretty good. I'm I'm doing all right. Yeah, God's got to be happy to have me on his team. And so, and so in our passage today and throughout the Bible, we see a direct link, at least with the Laodiceans, between being brilliant and being beautiful and being successful and being rich on the one hand and being utterly lukewarm towards God on the other. We see a link between those two things with this church. Because when you're really good at life, when, you're really, when you've made a lot of money, when you're super hot, when you've got lots of friends on Facebook and you've made it to the top, you might say with your mouth, oh yeah, I'm a sinner saved by grace, but the thing that grips you in your heart is you're going, look at all that I've achieved. And the reality that Jesus would accept you, the reality that he loves you as you are and accepts you as you are, in your heart of hearts you're like, of course, what's not to like? Because you've made it. You've made it to the top. And so it's not absolutely electrifying and absolutely amazing that the Lord Jesus Christ, the Holy One, would love you and accept you and embrace you as one of his own. And I just, as a side note to this, uh, often God will let you fall into sin and despair so that you are utterly shocked at who you are and disgusted at who you are so that you get a glimpse into the way you really are before God. And he does that in his mercy. As a father loves his children, helps you to give you insight into the way you really are so that you can see and be amazed and electrified at the love that he has for you. And that's what you bring towards him because that's what he loves to receive from us. And so if that's you, if you've been shocked and disgusted at who you are and what what it is that you can do, that is God's mercy to you and God's conviction to you to, to help you wake you up to just how amazing God's grace and God's love and God's kindness is towards you in the Lord Jesus Christ. So there's this absolute link between being affluent and being accomplished and being brilliant and being a high achiever on the one hand and being spiritually lukewarm on the other. So let me just do a little thought experiment for a minute. Imagine if Pastor Joseph or Pastor Samuel, these are the pastors that we support in Calabay, in Kenya and South Sudan. Uh, Imagine if we were able to fund a trip for them to come and and be here. Wouldn't that be awesome? 
get them to, to come here and share with us. But, and, and we get them to hang out with us and they watch our faith, they observe our faith, they observe our way of life, they, they hang out with us for a bit. These, for those of you who don't know, they're in a refugee camp in, in Calabay and they hang out with us. Or maybe if you've read the musing from today, Pastor Azim uh, comes and hangs out with us and then at the end of it, we ask them to give, the, uh, give us some honest feedback about what they've noticed or what they've observed about our faith compared to theirs and our way of following Jesus compared to theirs. I doubt they'd be able to say it, really, honestly, but I imagine they might be a bit shocked, maybe even appalled, maybe, by three things, maybe. Firstly, by how little we pray. Man, if God doesn't rock up for us, we're dead. We pray. We understand that we just will not get anywhere if we don't pray. But we're like, thanks, Jesus. We got this. We'll call you if we need you. Secondly, I wonder if they'd be shocked by how much money we make and how much of it we spend on ourselves and whether, whether they're like, Oh my goodness, do you know how much progress you could make with the gospel with that money? Do you know how far that would go in spreading the kingdom of God across the earth? Amazed at how much money we have and how much we keep rather than give away to the work of the gospel. And thirdly, I wonder if they would be shocked at how quiet we are about our faith. You're telling me you have this treasure of the Lord Jesus Christ and your friends don't even know this incredible treasure that you have in the Lord Jesus Christ? Man. It's the end of NADOC week uh, today. Stands for National Aborigines and Islanders Day Observance Committee. And so I want to quote from Martin Luther King Jr. I know it's not the Australian context, but there are resonances in his letter from Birmingham Jail. This is when he's imprisoned uh, in Birmingham Jail. He says, There was a time when the church was very powerful, in the time when the early Christians rejoiced at being deemed worthy to suffer for what they believed. In those days, the church was not merely a thermometer that recorded the ideas and the principles of popular opinion. No, it was a thermostat that transformed the mores of society. Small in number, they were big in commitment. They were too God-intoxicated to be intimidated. By their effort and example, they brought an end to such ancient evils as infanticide and gladiatorial contests. Things are different now. But the judgment of God is upon the church as never before. If today's church does not recapture the sacrificial spirit of the early church, it will lose its authenticity, forfeit the loyalty of millions, and be dismissed as an irrelevant social club with no meaning for the 20th century. Every day I meet young people whose disappointment with the church has turned into outright disgust. And that's what Jesus feels about the church in Laodicea. So what are we going to do about it? We've looked at the symptom. We've looked at the underlying disease. Now let's look at the medicines. He 
He's a good doctor, really good. He can even raise the dead. So the medicines in verse 18, he says, Buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich and white robes to clothe yourself and to cover the shame of your nakedness. And what better advice for a group of people who've got a lot of gold, who love dressing up in fine garments, to tell them to stop going to Claremont Quarter to clothe themselves and to start coming to Christ instead. Hey, buy from me, you're going to the wrong shop. That stuff is going to fade. That stuff is going to go and it can't even satisfy you and it can't cover your nakedness and your shame anyway. So why don't you come to me and buy gold that's refined by fire? In other words, when the fire of destruction, when the fire of death, when the fire of devastation hits it, it'll still be there. It'll last forever, for all eternity, rather than investing in these things that won't last and won't satisfy. The gold, the gold that he's talking about, it's about our status as, as kings and queens in God, the, the, the royal gold of the King of Kings. And the garments that he's talking about is our beauty and our worth and our significance. Not an external one where we have to cover over our nakedness and our shame, but one that radiates with all the glory of God and will do so for eternity. I mean, in Romans 8, it says all creation waits for the revealing of the sons of God. It's going to be so beautiful, so majestic, so glorious that then the whole world will follow and snap into that same glory and beauty. This is an eternal gold and eternal garments. And he's saying, come to me for that. Don't waste your time over there. You see, because everyone in the world is trying to cover their nakedness and their shame. We do it, to, we do it literally with our clothes to try and, uh, try and cover our nakedness uh, and our shame, but we do it metaphorically with our accolades and our accomplishments and we wear them like a garment to kind of bolster up our worth and Jesus is saying it doesn't work trade in your garments trade in your gold for something that I have for you which is so much better because those garments that you're they don't they you're still lukewarm they make you lukewarm they don't help you tap into your desperate need before me but if you come to me and trade in your garments and your gold you'll be on fire you'll be beautiful Back in November 2015, um, Ronda Rousey uh, was the female ultimate fighting champion. Have you ever watched UFC? It's brutal. Anyone? UFC, it's like boxing, but like you're almost like more trying to kill each other than just knock each other out. Anyway, Ronda, Ronda Rousey was the female champion. She'd won 12 matches, mostly in the first round, and her rise to fame as a fighter had earned her a movie deal. In other words, she was rich. She was awesome. Then, in a single unexpected moment, an underdog called Holly Holm delivered a kick to Ronda's head that led to instant defeat. As she sat there in the medical room, she said, honestly, my thought was, I was sitting in the corner and I was like, what am I anymore if I'm not this? Literally sitting there thinking about killing myself. In that exact second, I was like, I'm nothing. What do I do anymore? You see, this is exactly what Jesus is talking about. You see, ultimate fighting was Rhonda's garment. Ultimate fighting was Rhonda's gold. And when it was taken away, her 
nakedness and her shame and her wretchedness that she was trying to cover over was finally exposed. It was there anyway, but when it was taken away, she finally had to face up to who she was. And Jesus is saying, if you base your identity on your accolades and your accomplishments, you're this close to losing everything in an instant. And by the way, that's when you attach yourself to those things. That's why your life is like living on the end of a fire hydrant, going full ball with no one in control, being whiplashed everywhere in your emotions and everything because you've wrapped up your identity in this thing rather than building it on what God gives to us in Christ by grace. You see, the garment that he gives us, you can never lose. And the gold that he gives us, the the outfit that he gives us is glorious enough for us to be able to enter into the heavenly banquet and it lasts forever and ever and it's more glorious than the most glorious garment you've ever seen on earth. And you see, we get it by grace, which means that you can't lose it because you didn't get it for anything in yourself. But the problem with basing it on your accolades and your accomplishments is you get those things by your good works, but you can lose them by your good works, like Ronda Rousey, when you stuff it up in a second or someone better comes along. Jesus says, trade in your garments, trade in your gold. It's so much better and you'll never lose it. So how do you do that? You say to God, Lord, when I stand in the light of your brilliant holiness, naked, who I really am, I can see that all of my righteousness is like filthy rags. My worship is weak. My love for you is lukewarm. But the Lord Jesus Christ, he lived the life that I owed and he gave it to me and he died the death that I deserved so that I wouldn't have to. So make me rich in him by grace. Lord, the only reason I can wear these glorious garments is because Jesus was stripped naked for me on the cross. The only reason I can get this gold refined by fire is because the King of Kings became poor, utterly impoverished on the cross and he took that away for me to make me rich and give me gold refined by fire. The only reason I can see and have my eyes open is because Jesus was blindfolded and they mocked him and they said, prophesy, who hit you? And this is all a gift of his glorious grace. So trade in your garments and trade in your gold. Jesus says, here I am, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens up the door, I will eat with them and they with me. Jesus wants to have the the, the meal, was the table fellowship. This was a picture of intimacy and fellowship and friendship that Jesus wants to have with with the Laodiceans. And and, and he pictures it as a door. But there's only one handle on the door and the the handle is on the inside. Jesus is not going to barge in. He's not going to force his way in. He wants the Laodiceans to open up the door and to invite him in to eat with them and he with them. And so, friends, as we gather around the Lord's table later in the service, let's open the door and invite Jesus in. Let's confess that we need him. And let's eat, let's feast on his presence and his power, the table that he's prepared for us by grace. Amen? Let's do it. Father, we pray that you would give us ears to hear what it is, whatever it is that you're saying to us as a church and to us 
individually. Lord, please, by your spirit, set our hearts on fire for you. Please encourage us, build us up, nurture us. Help us to know what we are before you on our own. But more than that, Lord, help us to see what we are in Christ with these glittering garments, this glorious gold and this good medicine that you give for us through the Lord Jesus, that our hearts would be filled with joy and electrified by the love and the forgiveness and the acceptance that you give us because of Jesus. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen.